Hello, and welcome to the From Montana to Portugal podcast. My name is Janelle Holden. I am super excited about today's conversation with my guest, Stephanie. And Stephanie, I'm just going to admit right now that we didn't talk about me practicing pronouncing your last name. Um, <laughs> you know, I saw that coming as I was like, oh, we didn't talk about that. My last name is Wazalik and we've known each other for so long, but yeah. it, we don't, we don't talk. I still can't spell your last name right whenever I type it. Oh, good. Thank God. I'm not, <laughs> I was like, I'm about to mess this up. And <laughs> so Wazalik. Yes. Yes. Okay. I got it. Woo. All right. So listeners, um, the reason why I had Stephanie on today is first of all, she's an amazing human being that has so much wisdom to offer people. And I have known her for, gosh, at least six years, I'd say, um, maybe longer. And I met her in her role as a business coach. We both were working um, with an agency where she was a coach and I was helping them. And I've always been astounded at her ability to help people really get their life and business back on track and systematized and ordered and um, sane again. And she is a business coach for entrepreneurs who defy convention or want to. And I just love that about her. And Stephanie and I have a lot in common around travel. So the other reason why I'm having her on is because of her experience um, in traveling around the world. So I'll try not to take up all the space here. I want Stephanie to be able to share a little bit more herself. Welcome, Stephanie, to the podcast. Hey, Janelle. So excited to get this excuse to talk to you always and to talk about travel. Yes, 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 yes. So, okay, let's start with where you live now. And the reason why I want to start there is because I think it's actually quite similar to, in some ways, to what people who are experiencing, who are listening to this podcast, thinking about moving abroad and living in a culture that isn't, you know, maybe the one that they grew up in or they're currently in. So do you want to share a little bit about that special place that you live right now in Canada? Yes. And one day you're going to visit me here and realize how amazing it is. And so I live in Canada. I live in the French part of Canada in Quebec, but I kind of cheat because I live only half an hour from the English side. I'm natively English speaking. And so I live about half an hour north of Ottawa in a little tourist village. It's like a ski village in the winter, a biking village in the summer. Uh, I'm like in the forest, but not so much that I'm super isolated. It's a little town called Wakefield and it's just glorious. Oh yeah. The photos that I've seen look glorious and it looks all green right now. Um, we're currently in June, so it's a beautiful, well, it's always a beautiful time of year there, but a more green time of year there, I'm assuming. Lots of bugs though. Like it's, you get from, you know, winter and you're like, oh, I can finally go outside again. And then we've got a couple of weeks of warm-ish weather and then oppressive bugs. So you just learn to live with it. Like <laughs> black flies and mosquitoes. You just learn to live with it or else you'd never enjoy the outdoors. Yeah, we do the same here when it becomes mosquito season. We, we wear long sleeves, a hat, I have, you know, the natural non-DEET, sometimes works, mosquito repellent, sometimes <laughs> <Exactly>. doesn't. <laughs> oh, and I've got the big, like, hobo pants, like the, the, 
the tie the tie pants that have the elephants on them yeah. and I wear my partner's like old work collared shirt I <laughs> they don't match at all at bug net like but that's how you get your gardening done so that is how you get your gardening done exactly and we're not trying to make fashion statements doing it although you know it's funny because it's like you think oh summer's here and dresses and hats and you know uh bare arms that sort of thing no 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 not not really uh <laughs> it's coming the bugs will the bugs will subside soon yeah exactly so tell me what let's hear how long have you lived there let me ask you that first i think it has been i should have calculated this i think we're on our seventh summer here so seven okay. six or seven years somewhere in there okay and did you know french somewhat before you moved to quebec so I did French immersion all through elementary, middle, high school, which is, for anyone listening, it's like half French, half English in school. But I mean, I was, I was so shy. I was not fluent, like at all. And then I did French in university, um, where to this day, I still can't believe how bad I am at French now, despite <laughs> how much French I studied. And but I just had a neighbor the other day tell me that my French has gotten a lot better. And so, you know, there you go. I, I think partly I learned French from English people. And so my accent and kind of yeah. a lot of that is is not great. Um, yeah. My partner, though, doesn't know French at all. And he picks it up really quick, but he still can't. Um, you know, be fully immersed. But one thing that is great about here is our village. It's in Quebec. It's in the French part of Canada, but it's very English. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of people who are fully bilingual or just fully English. There's a few people that don't speak English, but primarily um, we get we get by pretty well. I'm not learning French as quickly as I would like, put it that yeah. way. Yeah, but still far, far surpass the average my French. Let's just put it that way. Um, so let me just ask you, you you told me you were very intentional. You and your husband were very intentional about wanting to live in Quebec and wanting to live um, maybe in the most, um, in not as usual a place for an English speaker in Canada. Um, it's maybe not as comfortable, I would say. Um, tell Can you tell me a little bit more about why that was important to you? So we had, which we'll get to, I'm sure soon, but we had lived in Australia for three and a half years and came back to Canada and we ended up living in like the most suburban area, like townhouse. We could see like 16 neighbors from our backyard. Everyone had their own little slice of, of uh, I don't know, suburbia, basically. And we were... Um, my partner hated his job. We were getting kicked out of our house because it was going up for sale. The housing boom had kind of um, really started in the greater Toronto area. And we just, we had been pursuing a job for him in the UK. And that fell through for visa reasons. And we just kind of looked at each other and like, we were going to move to the UK. Like we could move anywhere. Where should we go? But because we had just spent so much time really far away, we were liking being back near our families. Not that we were super, super next door to them, but close enough driving distance. And so we said, okay, so let's stay in Canada. Let's find a spot. We wanted to be near an airport so we could keep traveling. And it was kind of down to 
Quebec or Nova Scotia, which is more maritime, islandy, oceany, right? Right. And we said, well, Quebec feels a bit more like a foreign country. Uh, there would have been some elements of that, of um, coastal living that we wouldn't have been used to. But um, we said, okay, Quebec feels more like a foreign country. And we wouldn't have had to spend every one of our vacations like flying back to see our family. We could still drive. So now we're like three hours for one family and five hours, five, six hours for the other family. So we're, it's good. It's, it's good enough. And so, yeah, so we said, okay, let's find a spot uh, in Quebec. Awesome. I, I love that. So yeah, what I'm hearing is it was really important to you to have a different experience from the typical suburban one. It reminds me of, I don't know if you ever saw the show Weeds, but um, they have, there's a uh, song that is little the boxes box. on the yeah. hillside little boxes make a ticky tacky I actually don't know that song from weeds because I never watched the show but I yeah. studied history in university history yeah. and French and um I I quoted that song in one of my papers I did a class on the 60s and I just I did a whole paper on the Flintstones and I, I remember that song from then that is I can't hilarious. believe I just sang on a podcast. Oh my goodness! I'm so happy you did. This is a first now. I think I might have. I may have sang at one point, but I'm so glad you did. That was great. <laughs> but yeah, every time I heard that song, I'm like, oh, I don't want the suburban experience. And yeah, and now you have a daughter. So has how did your perspective shift at all when you had her and where you wanted to live with her? Um, yeah. We were very on the fence about having kids at all. It kind of went back and forth. And we moved here. And about a year in, we were just like, well, this is the perfect place to raise a kid. And so it, it kind of pushed it in yeah. uh, a direction. And the other reason we decided to have kids, which is not irrelevant to this conversation, was it felt like more of an adventure. We kind yeah. of looked at our life and we're like, we can maybe imagine what it would be look like, what it would look like without kids. And so let's have kids. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not what? the more typical reason to have a kid, I don't think, but <laughs> it was uh, it was ours nonetheless. I can't wait to meet your daughter. Um, she sounds delightful and um, and very curious and got a lot of a lot of aspects of your personality. It sounds like so. Yes. Um, so, what has it been like culturally? What have you had to maybe admit to yourself or notice about yourself being in a new place that that might be slightly different at least than your your typical culture that you grew mm -hmm. up in about quebec specifically yeah yeah mm -hmm. so one thing we weren't expecting being canadians was moving to quebec even though like we kind of thought oh it feels like a foreign country we kind of like took that kind of lightly but they politically actually treat people outside of Quebec as foreigners. Yeah. And so when we went to get our driver's license, we didn't go in the Canadian line. We went in the international line because they didn't have a Canadian line. Um, so <laughs> it was either you, you know, were from here and you're getting a driver's license or you were from somewhere else. And so that was our kind of first glimpse into like, oh, this is actually more uh, expat feeling than we were expecting. Yeah. Since we've moved here, there's been more legislation um, protecting the French language even more. Uh, so with schools and and things, and even getting your healthcare in French and stuff like that. So we're finding it 
yeah, even more exclusionary. It's thank goodness I know the amount of French I do know because some things would be pretty hard for our family to navigate without mm -hmm. that. So I don't know that that's the case everywhere you move, but certainly that's what happened to us moving here. Um, the people have been great. I We didn't expect otherwise. Uh, it is surprising to me the the different worldviews, though, even yeah. not far from where I, I mean, only what, six hours from where I grew up. So it uh, that has been interesting navigating. And I think I've been learning that about myself, too, is I think of myself as an empathetic person and looking at all sides of things, but there actually is just a mindset that I am still learning about. I couldn't mm -hmm. even really accurately describe it to you because I'm still learning to navigate it. It surprises me in, in different ways sometimes. So I'll just like be taken, oh, they reacted that way to that. Oh, I wasn't, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm surprised. That's not how <laughs> the people I grew up with would have reacted, right? Yeah. So those are the little kind of nuances that I'm still six, seven years in getting used to. Yeah. I think it's, uh, if you're not born into a culture, it, it takes a while to learn it, uh, learn the things that maybe bother people or are impolite or that are polite and you're expected to do, but you wouldn't have guessed in other situations. Um, at least for me, actually experiencing Canada, that's been true as an American as well. I mean, I, um, Canada obviously is quite similar in many ways to the U.S., but quite different in a lot of other ways. And there have been times that I've certainly been impolite, not meaning to be impolite, but just being kind of an American, which I didn't, you know, I hate to say, but like, that's just, that's just who I am. And I, there's parts of me that I can't like quite fit into that another culture easily. Um, so it's inter interesting. The thing though, is that it's the hidden things. Like there are yeah. obvious things like, okay, when you go here or go there, any, any country, right? There's the obvious things that like, okay, the yeah. currency is different. The language is different. The, whether you tip or you don't tip or, you know, there are right. things that you can kind of figure out or read in a guidebook or something, but these are the things that you kind of don't figure out until you really embarrass yourself or put your foot in your mouth or like find out through the grapevine later that you offended someone or like that's the hard part about navigating it. I, when I was in my 20s in Australia, I put my foot in my mouth so many times. Like I was way less uh, sensitive to this than I am now. And now it's, yeah, it's less extreme. I mean, I am still Canadian in a yeah. Although, funny enough, Quebec thinks of themselves sometimes as their own country. And so, I don't know, they don't like to sometimes be considered Canadian. But anyways, here but, we are. Uh, so would you be a Quebecois? Is that how you pronounce it? Quebecois. Quebecois. Okay, mm -hmm. right. See, I probably just put my foot in my mouth right there. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, so how did you end up in Australia? I know a lot of Canadians spend time there, but three and a half years is, is a while. I remember touring university in Ontario and they told me I could spend a year abroad. And I was like, what? I can do that? That's amazing. And I never traveled a lot um, growing up, like more kind of, you know, spend a summer at the lake or something, but not uh, anywhere a big trip. And so I just had that in my mind. But 
shortly thereafter, I met my now husband and we, I just didn't want to leave for a year in my third year of university. And so we decided we would move once uh, we graduated and he's a geologist. And so (laughs) there was work there and we had a friend that he went to school with that hooked us up with some work. Um, And I don't know, we just just went. <laughs> it cost us a lot more to go. We both had like our life saving, I'm using quotation marks, our life yeah. savings at the time and uh, couldn't believe that when we first got there, it was all gone. Like by the time yeah. you think of flights and your first month's rent at your apartment and all of that stuff. But uh, yeah, we we just went. And what did you do? What Did you find a job when you got there? Did you start business coaching at that point? What... So I was unclear about my life's path. (laughs) Uh, Ryan was a geologist, so he had work. And so we had money coming in. I I found work at a temp agency. I did a couple short jobs that were kind of terrible. And then, I mean, not terrible, but, you know, inconsistent. And I had to be on a bus for an hour and a half to get to the location. And it was fine. Yeah. But the... Then I got hired by the company, the mining company that Ryan was working with, my partner. So I started working at a mine. I worked there for probably 10 months. It wasn't underground. Mm -hmm. I was in exploration above ground. So we would Mm -hmm. drive out to drill sites, look at the core. I had to like, um, the core would come all back. This like big tube of rock basically would come up back all broken. And one of our jobs was to line up all the rock and put, draw a line down it so they knew which direction it came out of the hole, for example. Or one of the jobs was to wash the rocks, or we had to cut the rocks. It was all these kind of uh, general labor jobs. Yeah. But it was so cool. And I maybe I'm going off track of your question, but it was so cool because I was in the outback. I was I was fly into work, and we were in kind of the most barren part of Australia, just red sand. And as far as you could see, there was lots of lizards and spiders and um, lots and lots and lots of flies. And it was just really cool. Everyone on site knew that if they saw something cool, they had to come find me. And I always had a camera on me like at all times. (laughs) And so I could (laughs) quickly go take a picture and, um, and see what what it was. I left just before I got to be the snake wrangler. They had to train people on site to be snake wranglers because if they had a poisonous snake come into site, someone had to remove it. And, uh, and I signed up, I I volunteered for that training, put it that way. But um, I left just before to become a coach, actually. So I left just before uh, I could do that. And yeah, then I, I met, had met a chiropractor. I was listening to his podcast. He was in my town all about um, health and nutrition and all of that stuff. And so I started seeing him and he said, you know, you'd make a really great coach, a health coach. And he offered me a job working in his chiropractic office and would offer to train me to be a coach. And so I was um, having some health issues working at the mine. So I didn't think I could really continue doing that. And so it was a perfect kind of scenario. That's how, and that's how coaching started for me. Oh, that's so fascinating. I never asked you that question. I'm so glad we did this podcast because I, I never actually knew that whole, how that transition happened. That is really, really cool. Um, so have you read the book tracks by any chance? No. Um, 
Um, it's uh, an Australian author. Her name's Robin. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes. I can't remember her last name. It's an excellent, excellent travel, well, travel memoir from a native Australian or a, a white Australian who grew up there. Let's put it that way. Who um, uh, took her camel all across the outback, like 3,000 miles or something, and um, her dog, and the whole thing is just a phenomenal story. So um, that's what I wish, I would love to have gone the outback. That's the closest I've been to the outback is reading um, a bit about Australia. It's cool. They have a native population of camels. You wouldn't, not native, like it's not like they're from Australia, but a long, a, a very pure line of camels got brought there a long time ago and they just live there now. Yeah, I would never have guessed that about Australia. So did you get to see a lot of Australia while you were there? Did you travel around or was it, or were you primarily in the outback? We did our best to travel around a lot. Uh, as Because we worked away for work, sometimes we just wanted to kind of uh, explore. At, we lived in Adelaide. Uh-huh. Uh, so sometimes we spent a lot of our weekends exploring um, very delicious wineries and the central market and the beaches and, and stuff in town. And then we did definitely did do a lot of traveling around the country as well. So yeah, it was glorious. We we probably could have done more if we'd spent a little less money on wine, but it was, <laughs> it was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I, and that's one of the places that I've actually been in Australia is Adelaide because um, that was where I won that trip um, and got sent to Adelaide. They bizarrely have a German touristy town. Do, do you remember that town outside of Adelaide? It's up in the hill. like Yes. Um, I went there. Heidel. Uh, oh, I can't remember. Hoff. Yes. So <laughs> I can look it Hoff, up. Brow um, something. I actually wrote, while I was in Australia, I wrote a blog, um, and I, I can tell you, it's going to be right here, Hondorf. Hondorf, that's what it was. Yeah, yes. because that was the first place we went. Oh, now I lost your video here. That was the first place we went. We moved there, stayed with some friends, and they said, hey, let's go to Hondorf. It's this place we've been wanting to check out. And it was in the hills. So we lived on the beach and it was in the hills and beautiful uh, wine region. I think they had, if I remember, they had a lot of like fruit trees mm-hmm. as yeah. well. Yeah, it was gorgeous. That is hilarious. The a hilarious thing to have in common. That's the first place that I went in Australia was Hondorf because, and you went there too. Um, this little tiny German town where we got, we like, we just gotten off the plane after some 27 or 36 hours of travel and we're in Hondorf and we go out to eat and it's all sausages. Like, <laughs> it's like, what kind of sausage do you want? <laughs> There's a German sausages everywhere. <laughs> so our first meal we landed and we were staying on Henley beach uh-huh. which is spectacular, beautiful, as far as you can see, beach. And they had a jetty with some restaurants, and we were so jet-lagged. And our friend was just like, you just got to stay awake. Let's go out for lunch. And we're like, lunch? Oh, my God. God it's got to be later than lunch. And we went, and we had burgers. And I remember those burgers so vividly because they had beet beets on them. Oh. And they call them beetroot. And you can buy mm-hmm. like 
tinned instead of we call it canned, but tinned beetroot that's sliced, and it's just uh, they just put them on burgers and a fried egg, which was very unusual. Our burgers typically don't have either of those ingredients, and so we always remember our first meal right into it, right? Into yeah. it. Like, oh, this is different. <laughs> yeah, and and so I think that's the that's the thing in travel that makes makes me love it so much is the different stuff that really sticks in your memory. You know, the things that you would just not have experienced in your own land at all. Do you have tips after those three and a half years? Do you have any tips that you could share with readers about how to get the most out of being, let's say a stranger in a strange land and, um, how to really experience it in. Yeah. So most people listening are going to live abroad, right? So they're not mm-hmm. just traveling abroad. Is that? Well, actually, a lot of people listening are Americans who are considering moving abroad. Okay. And so they're they're in the they're in maybe the early state, or maybe they've made decisions to move to Portugal or move to another place, and they're planning it or thinking about it. Um, and some people have moved already. Yeah. So a couple things. I, like I said, I wrote the blog while I was there and I'm really glad I did. It helps me remember the places we went and the little things that surprised me about yeah. living there. So I, I was just reviewing it before, um, before our call and going like, oh yeah, that was pretty cool. We did that. Oh yeah, that was pretty cool. So I liked that. I, I don't know, this isn't so much a tip, I guess, is two little warnings or just like things that I wasn't expecting. In Australia, it was different because everyone spoke English. But in Quebec, I never realized how much just mental drain I was going to have. Just, mm. and I speak French, right? right yeah. Like not great, <laughs> but I do technically speak French. And like just going to the grocery store is more challenging. And having to call up your electric company or whoever is just more challenging, filling out paperwork. Or um, we just uh, toured my daughter's school for the first time today. And honestly, I understood about 50% of what happened. (laughs) And those kinds of things, I was really surprised about how much now I like dread calling people (laughs) or I I build them up in my head of like, oh, I have to go buy paint. Like, am I even going to know what kind of paint to buy? Am I going to be able to get help? Am I, you know, those things were more draining than I was expecting. So if you're planning on moving, I guess my tip would be to sort of account for that and give yourself some slack if you're experiencing that. And, uh, and it feels so comforting to talk to someone in your uh, your native speaking language. Or I know now when I go to Ontario and I go into a store that's English, I'm just like, oh, this is so easy. Like, just yeah. I just never really, I, there was quite a juxtaposition there with that. So yeah. yeah, just go easy on yourself and and plan for a, to not really overwhelm yourself with a lot of things because just day-to-day life can be more challenging than you're expecting. Oh, for sure. And I've heard that from other people as well. And I'm curious, why do it then? You know, why would you put yourself through a life where going to the grocery store is challenging in and of itself or getting on the metro or filling out paperwork? What is it that draws you or maybe what you think draws other people to experience that and 
Um, and I know for some people it's a, it's an economic necessity or, you know, they have refugee status. There's a lot of reasons why people move to outside of their homelands besides choice. It's not a choice for a lot of people. But um, why was it a, why is it a choice that you find valuable still? This is a good question. I mean, we can talk it out together because I think as humans, for one, we're wired for dopamine hits. So yeah, novelty and uh, and um, just newness is something that many humans uh, like and mm-hmm. seek more of. And that's the case for me, that even just going to a new store or walking on a new trail or you know, those kinds of things I just really enjoy. I would much rather do that than kind of the same thing over and over again. And I I think as a coach, I have learned a lot about personal development and always kind of seeking, not just to be better. It's I don't believe there's like a good, best, better sort of thing. But learning more about yourself is nice. It's sometimes, sometimes it's not nice, but (laughs) a lot of times it's, uh, yeah, it just kind of makes life interesting. I think I'm not the kind of person that does well, just with the same thing over and over again. I can't eat the same meal five days in a row. I can't, um, corporate work was never really for me. I like variety. So my guess is that there are just different personality types that seek it out. I I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think so too. I I think there's uh, the pros often outweigh the cons, meaning Mm -hmm. it might be more a mental load, but you remember more about your day-to-day life. Life is more memorable versus... I don't know if I could tell you the difference between necessarily this June day and last year's June day living here in the same place. I mean, yes, things have changed. Yes, things are continuing to change. But having that experience of a lot of change or um, a variety, like you said, is interesting. And I agree with you. I think it's probably a personality type, somebody who wants more adventure, who wants that and is willing to do that. I mean, there are certain things that I don't want as in like, I, I don't want to jump out of a plane. I have no interest in like learning how to skydive or me neither. That's exactly my example. Like it's not yeah. a adrenaline <laughs> kick. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not that at all, but I have interest in learning and I think I get bored easily. And, uh, if I admit that about myself, um, even though I try really hard to see the beauty in everyday life and to feel grateful for the small things, for oatmeal and for my tea and for a beautiful day outside and the wind and birds singing and all that, I still crave learning about the rest of the world and learning about not only myself, but myself in relationship to other people who do things entirely differently for reasons that I may not understand. I find that really fascinating. Like, life is so varied. How did this culture decide that beetroot on hamburgers is an exciting feature? You, know? <laughs> you say that here and you're like, no, thanks. I think I'll pass on the beetroot hamburger. You know? <laughs> like, but they, they must find it great because people must be buying that, you know? And so that, 
that level of preferences that people have, I think is fascinating. It's just kind of, I have no idea why, but it's, it's fascinating to me. And so then it's willing, I'm willing to like be taxed mentally that way. Um, yeah. I will not speak on behalf of all travelers ever, um, but certainly not with this statement. But what I strive to do in my life is question the status quo and question mm-hmm. what we're like supposed to do, quote unquote, and what the normal path of life is, right? I really like to figure out what is the best for me. Yeah. I like to figure out, you know, okay, everyone's doing it this way, but why? That just doesn't seem to make sense to me. Why wouldn't I do it this way, right? Instead of saving our life savings for a down payment on a house, which is what um, was expected of us, we took our life savings and blew it all on moving to Australia. And I would not change it for the world. I look now at my life, I own a house, I have a kid, I'm married, I have a dog, I, you know, I have like, I have a lot of the things that are normal kind of, I shouldn't say normal, because it's becoming less and less normal as uh, the economy changes and whatnot. But things that maybe were expected of us, I have a university education, but we took that time to have that adventure first. And I'm so glad because we, I think we'd have a really hard time doing that now. And I'm really, really happy with my life now. The The parts of my life that are, you know, common now, I love. I love them now. And I wonder how much I love them because I was able to have some really unique experiences and feel in choice about this life as opposed to, well, this was just what I'm supposed to do. So here I am. I don't know. I, I take that a lot to my work with business owners as well. They run their business the way they think they should run their business. And I don't think they need to go totally out of left field and do something wildly different, but maybe there's a better way to run the business for them and something that aligns more with their values and personalities and strengths. And so I help people uncover that in my work. But I really model that. I try to model that in my day-to-day life as well. And part of that is travel. And part of it is making choices not to travel, right? Part of it is just being as in choice as I can. And I understand that um, not everyone has the privilege, the luxury to do that. And so I'm, I'm very grateful for my situation in that sense. But this is just kind of, that's my paradigm. It's how I kind of, my outlook on, on all of this. Yeah. I love that outlook so much. And I would agree. We are privileged and, and I'm very grateful for the experiences that I've had and for having, you know, health and for, um, support and the friends that I have and all those things. And, you know, I wish that for everybody, um, I would, I'm wondering if you could share an example of how when people, or maybe yourself, you can use a client or yourself, depending on what you're thinking about, but how they might defy convention a little bit, do it their own way and find success through that. If, if there's anything that comes to mind that, you know, you've, you've seen or help people with. I think there are a lot of people right now trying to run a business without social media, for example, Mm -hmm right? It's a common way to get leads and to get clients and to market yourself. And 
personally, I use it as little as possible because it just doesn't align with me. I don't like the practices of the companies. I don't want to give them a penny of my money. Um, and so I do my best to, to use it as little as possible. Uh, I, I just, I had a client the other day who was told by a whole bunch of people that she should do a webinar and she should build her business in this elaborate way and have all of these follow-up series and um, all this this quite elaborate thing. And, and this woman just wanted a couple of clients. She didn't need hundreds. She just wanted to um, work the last few years before her retirement. <laughs> and, and someone was telling her this very complex way of doing business. And and we had a conversation. I was like, well, what do you really want to do? She's like, well, I love teaching. Teaching is so easy to me. I'm like, okay, so let's let's figure out how to do this in a way that you can do it that way. And by the end of our call, she kind of had a plan. She was excited. She went and implemented it right away. And it just happened. She had a good turnout. She's excited to do it again. And it wasn't fundamentally that different from a webinar, but it was her way. She did it her way and in a way that felt good to her that she was actually able to do instead of sitting there paralyzed, trying to follow some advice that was quite complicated, maybe for a business that was not even close to the kind she wanted to run. But until you ask someone, what are your hopes and dreams? What do you want your life to look like? Mm-hmm. What do you love doing in your business or or your life or career? Until you ask those questions, you can't give anyone advice or take advice if they don't know those things about you. It's very hard to to receive advice too if someone has just given it out of context. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that's where you're so brilliant at planning, at making plans fit with the person and who they are authentically. So they have a plan that they're like, oh, I'm excited about this because it's actually who I am versus trying on somebody else's plan that worked for them and they think must work for everybody else. Um, There's so much of that in the business coaching industry um, in the sense of, oh, well, I created success this way, so I'll show you how I did it. But then when people try to replicate that, and I think this is the same actually in moves as well. Everyone's move situation, if you're going to move abroad or even if you're going to move to the next town, is going to be different from somebody else's. Um, I'm doing this series of interviews so that I can help people maybe prepare a little bit more or start thinking about different questions. Um, and certainly for selfishly for myself that I get to talk to fun people like you and learn for myself those questions. But I think it's really important to know that your journey is never going to look like exactly like somebody else's, even if you really, really want it to. And can I just say too, like what's totally unacceptable to me is the shame that people feel when they don't succeed at following the path they think they're supposed to be on. Like that is that is the unacceptable part to me. Like we all deserve to live a life in the ways that we want to live it and in our with our own preferences and and just to to be told to do it one way and then not be able to do it for whatever reason and then have all of that like shame and guilt and judgment that goes along with it. It's not just like well, the strategy worked or it didn't work and okay, now whatever, I readjust. It's like that internal 
stuff that happens is horrible. It's really, um, it's, it's quite heartbreaking. And I see this a lot with um, many of my clients who have ADHD tendencies or neurodivergence, and they just mm-hmm. can't and don't want to and can't run a business or a life for that matter, the way that everyone they see around them is doing it. And the hardest part is overcoming that that shame and just feeling okay and feeling like um, their their experiences are valid just the way they are. Oh, so, so brilliant. I'm so glad you brought that up. I agree with you. It's it's the worst pain to feel like I'm not doing things the right way and therefore I'm never going to succeed or I just can't do it because it's not who I... And the brilliant thing I think that you've, you're just pointing out and, and I hopefully am learning over the years is that the more you actually do it your way, the more likely successful you're going to be mm-hmm. than versus trying to put yourself into... Uh, formula, a formulaic formulaic view of life, let's put it that way, um, that will never fit. And there should be no shame around that. I completely agree. Um, It's it's making me think, uh, this this is making, maybe making light of it, but like, I hate museums. Yeah. I will tell you, I don't want to go to a place and only see their museums. I, even the Louvre, the only reason I went to the Louvre in Paris is because uh, Ryan really wanted to go. We went on our honeymoon yeah. and I was like, can we, can we go now? Like, it's yeah. just the worst. <laughs> sure. There's all these things around me, but that's not how I want to experience a place. I would much rather just walk down the streets and I don't care if I've hit every tourist spot or everything that's in the guidebook. I, you know, I, I'm not saying I feel shame about not doing that. I'm pretty confident yeah. in my decisions, but it can it's almost like maybe I'm leaning more towards the FOMO aspect of this. Like you go somewhere and think you have to do all the things and see the perfect place and go to the right restaurant and all of that. And I I don't know. I think I just want to give all of you permission to just explore the parts of where you're going or where you are that call to you. And it's okay to like different things. You don't have to like the same things that are in the guidebook or that people say are like, you must see this. Yeah. I completely agree. And uh, my husband, when I, I, I think the first time I asked him this question, I was sort of shocked that he replied this way because he's an, an introvert. I said to him, like, what do you like most about traveling? Or what do you love most about it? And he said, the people without any hesitation, as in he just loves meeting the people from that country and getting to interact with them and talk to them and find out more about them. The buildings he could... I mean, he appreciates or the scenery he appreciates, but it's not like the deepest joy for him in travel. And that's not what the guidebooks talk about, right? Like the guidebooks are like, go see the Mona Lisa and go see the Eiffel Tower and go see all these things that you are on your bucket list to see versus experience and connection, um, which may be more important to some people. And it's totally okay if seeing something is your also what you what you provides the most joy in travel. A little bit changing subjects, but one thing I noticed when we were living in Australia, especially, and to a certain extent here in Quebec as well, is we typically made friends with other expats. And that's not entirely true. I had some really lovely friends who were from Adelaide. 
it just was harder to integrate into their lives. Like they had existing mm-hmm. lives and friends and families and patterns and jobs. And um, it was more difficult to form deeper friendships than with the other expats. Uh, our neighbors were a guy from Liverpool and his partner was a German who learned English in Australia and from her liver, her, her partner from Liverpool, who has a very strong <laughs> accent. She had the best accent I've ever heard. Uh, and, and we had a great time. We're not like super in touch now or anything, but we just, you know, it was nice to have some people who had similar experiences to us. Yeah. Yeah. I, there's a, a common thread in the Portuguese immigration experience where people say, you know, Portuguese are very friendly people, but don't expect them to invite you into their home. And I thought, why would I ever expect someone to, I mean, I don't even expect my neighbors to invite me into my own, into their homes here. I mean, I, I have a few neighbors that have been in their home, but what I have zero expectation of that in my own country. Why would I expect some other country to just like Hey, come to our family dinner. You're new here, you know. <clears throat> I I just I find that fascinating. So I feel like human relationships around the world may be similar in the sense that we have we have to build trust and the more people are see you familiarly like in the grocery store, for instance, or But you've you've yeah. heard these stories though, haven't you? Yeah. Of people like, Oh, I was at some restaurant, someone overheard me say this, and then they invited me to their house. Or, or my in-laws, I think, went to some person's ranch. Like, and yeah. I'm like, for one, that's wildly dangerous, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I just go with some stranger. <laughs> but also, like, we hear these stories, and I think we can kind of go places expecting that these magical experiences of, of being yeah. welcomed in are going to happen to us. And to a certain extent, like, if you're open to them, sometimes they do. And that's exciting, but I don't want people to feel like their experience is a disappointment because that doesn't happen. Yeah, I well, it's that has actually happened to us in Canada. Um, we had we met this man on Vancouver Island who took us sea kayaking with him and showed us his boat on the or his houseboat. And I mean, you're right. Like, was it crazy to walk into his house without really knowing him? You know, probably. Um, wouldn't recommend it, uh, but <laughs> but he was fabulous. He was uh, I. That was one of my favorite favorite memories of all time, um, being on Vancouver Island. And of course, we struck up a conversation over sports of all things. Like we had the same yeah sports team that we like. And so next thing you know, yeah, he's being a super generous host and a kind person. And would I do that to someone who is traveling here? I hope so. However, I don't expect it of of other I don't expect someone to be like, "Oh, you're an expat. Let's just, you know, take you under our wing." Although it would be I hope I hope that happens to some degree in in Portugal, but I don't expect it. And I don't want to put this all on them because for me in Australia, we didn't know how long we were staying. Yeah. We we thought we were staying for a year, it ended up being three and a half. It was really hard to emotionally put down roots in a place and and that's actually one of my biggest regrets is treating it like I was only staying a year from a business perspective too I had all these opportunities just like in in my sights they I could have Mm -hmm. really taken off but I kept saying to myself like oh we're leaving soon I don't need to like pursue this 
this or that or this, you know, and I, I think I could have had a very different business had I just kind of stayed in the present a little bit more. Yeah. Instead of, you know, putting a whole bunch of expectations on your future that, yeah, yeah. Really good advice. Well, we're coming up to almost an hour. So I want to, um, honor your time and ask one other question because you and I talk a lot about books. We are both avid readers. Um, and I was curious if there's anything you're reading or anything you would suggest people read who are considering a move or just in general, cause I love book talk. So, um, what's on your shelf these days? I hadn't thought about it from a considering a move perspective, but my book that I do want to recommend everyone in the whole, well, everyone read, cause I just loved it so much, uh, was by Becky Chambers and it's called A Psalm for the Wild Built. And it's a series. Mm. I've only read the first one because I know I'm going to love the next ones and I'm just like saving them. (laughs) Uh, So I want to read the next ones. It's a very short book and it's just a delight. I don't like suspense. I don't like dark tragedy. I, I don't need to live. Anyways, any of those things. This book was just an absolute delight. It had powerful conversations in it, profound moments. Uh, the premise was incredible. It's, uh, I, I won't be able to do it justice, but the premise is basically um, robots have taken over the world, but it all turns out great. Oh, how <laughs> so fun. It's a very positive futuristic spin. Like they look after the humans and, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, I love that it's written uh, very inclusively using different pronouns. And it just is a piece of art. It's hopeful. Uh, I can't wait to read the rest and Becky Chambers' others books as well. Oh, thank you. I know you had mentioned it to me before, and now I will get it because um, now that you recommend it the second time, I have a pen and will definitely be getting this book because... Um, that sounds delightful. So I do my best to read different things. Mm-hmm. I think this is part of the newness and the novelty, but also just part of empathy and understanding other perspectives. Not only do I try and read books that have unique premise, uh, but I also try and read books by authors who have different worldviews. I'm maybe not as successful as I'd like because I like a good read as much as the next person, <laughs> but it it if you can kind of um, set your sights on that, I think you find some real gems. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I agree. I like to read widely. And that's why I'm in book clubs too, because they often pick things I would never pick. And I'm so glad that I've read those. So um, so tell people, uh, first of all, let me just say that Stephanie has an amazing newsletter. And so I enjoy reading it for a lot of different reasons, not only for great business advice, but fun stories and really great life tips. So I want to recommend her newsletter. Stephanie, how can people find you online? And you have a beautiful new website. We didn't even get to talk about that, but everybody should check out her website. It's it's glorious. So my website is stephaniewazilik.com, W-A-S-Y-L-Y-K.com. And the you can find the newsletter i call them permission slips so it's all about giving business owners permission to do business on their own terms and i never give very 
prescriptive advice. I try and give lots of perspective so you can make decisions on your own about what fits for you. But I can kind of guide you through questions to think about and and stuff you might not have thought about. So that's um, that's a great way to kind of stay in touch with me. And another thing is if you are a business owner and you have a reasonably successful business, you've got clients um, and you're starting to feel overwhelmed or burnt out or like how like things are falling through the cracks and um, or maybe just it, your business isn't aligned with the life you really want to live then uh, that's what my coaching is for. And I really try and make coaching accessible. So I offer people uh, a a gift from me, a session, no strings attached, no pitch, just to really help you and see if it is something you're exploring. If coaching is something you're exploring, you can kind of see if we're a fit, if coaching feels good to you. Um, So you can find information about that on my website as well. Yes, and I will put it in the show notes too so that people can grab some time with Stephanie. I highly recommend it. And and a situation that I also recommend that you work with her on is if you are considering moving abroad and you have a business and you're trying to figure out will that business look the same? Now, Stephanie's not going to give you legal structure or accounting advice. I'll just say that from that perspective, but she can help you kind of sort out what is it that you want from that business when you move or in that location. And I think when I spoke to my relocation expert the last time I talked to her and she said to me, do you really want to work when you first get to Portugal? And I was like, what is that question? (laughs) But it was such a good question. It made me think really a, a lot about that and about what do I want when I get there? And how busy do I really want to be with work? And of course, you know, how much, how will my business change so that it could support economically the lifestyle that, um, you know, that I have food and shelter and all of those things. Um, So and even just, is, just the hours you want to work, you're moving yeah. to a completely different time zone. Like how does that work with the clients you have here or um, yeah. in, around the world and yeah, there's so many questions to explore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you're if you're in that place, I highly recommend having a chat with Stephanie. She's absolutely brilliant, and I don't call you. them chats, Janelle. They're powerful conversations. Oh, right. <laughs> Sorry, they are powerful conversations. They are not just a chat. They are powerful conversations. Yeah, we so can get a lot done in 45 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you again, Stephanie. I appreciate your time so much. And hang on, because I want to chat with you after we hang up here. But uh, um, for everyone who's listening, thank you so much for listening. You can come over to From Montana to Portugal on Substack. It's janelleholden.substack.com and become a free or paid subscriber. I would love your support. And you can also comment on this podcast there. And um, I will respond to your comments as well. So thanks, everyone, for listening. All right.